Lovitz, how are you? Really, how are you? In your spirit, in your emotions, in your mind, in your body, how are you? I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap welcoming you back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast I coordinate for showing up for racial justice or surge. I'm the faith coordinator for Surge, living in the place currently called Buffalo, New York, here in the homelands of the Haudenosaunee and Erie peoples. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith and is particularly designed for white Christians, white Christian folks talking to other white Christian folks about race and white supremacy, even in these unprecedented times of the COVID-19 pandemic. We believe that white Christians like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, including in our own Christian tradition. We are building up a new world. These words from Dr. Vincent Harding feel like a huge declaration of faith in this moment. Are we? Are we building up a new world right now while some of us are physically isolating and we're all trying to make sense of this moment? For me, Dr. Harding's song is a reminder that yes, even in this moment, we can shape and are shaping the future that we want. For example, all of us who are physically isolating right now are making a collective choice for the common good which goes completely counter to white supremacy culture's insistence on hyper-individualism to the detriment of the collective. I think Dr. Harding would like that, that collective choice for the common good. We are building up a new world. This live recording of Dr. Harding's song for the freedom movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. The word is resistance. How are you? Really, how are you? In your spirit, in your emotions, in your mind, in your body, how are you? How am I? A lot of us have never lived through anything like this pandemic. I certainly have not. And I have felt that impact in my spirit, emotions, mind, body. In any given moment, I feel grounded, grieving, rageful, irritable, hopeful, aching, tired, energized, distracted, loving, despondent, scared, vulnerable. And usually several of those things all at once. From moment to moment, I have hope for what we might shape out of this crisis and despair that we are doomed. My trauma is activated, which means my sleep is disrupted. My body hurts in old places it hasn't for a while. And my tendency is to withdraw into myself while doing hashtag all the things to help everyone else, which is a great way to burn out. Been there, done that. How are you? How are you in your body? When I signed up for this week in the lectionary last fall, of course I had no idea we'd be in the middle of a pandemic, 
pandemic that puts bodies at risk of death, and then I'd be needing to offer a resistance word on a set of texts that have everything to do with bodies. I'm going to put a content warning here that two of these texts, the Valley of the Dry Bones in Ezekiel and the Raising of Lazarus in John, both talk about dead bodies and bones and the stenching aftermath of death. I'll be sharing a story that describes the aftermath of a hurricane that I witnessed. And I'm not describing a lot of detail, and we won't stay in the death part of it, but still, if that's not what you're up for right now, that is totally cool. Please choose yourself right now and take care of yourself. You're enough. We have enough to be getting on with right now. If you choose to keep listening, I actually suggest you pause here and go read the three texts I'm going to focus on today because Ezekiel and John, though likely familiar to you, are too long to read here. The texts are Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14, Romans 8, 6 through 11, and John 11, 1 through 45. You can also Google Vanderbilt Lectionary and go to the readings for the fifth Sunday of Lent, year A, Sunday, March 29th. I'll start again after this music break. In late October 1998, Hurricane Mitch hit Central America and lingered for days, causing immense amounts of destruction and death. I remember watching the huge eye of the hurricane on the Weather Channel, praying for my beloved's family and our friends throughout the region. The following spring, I was in Nicaragua for my job, and local mutual aid workers drove us out to the Casita Volcano where there had been a huge mudslide during the hurricane, ripping a vast tear down the side of the mountain and spilling into the valley below, burying several villages in mud and debris. Nobody really ever knew how many people were lost. As we rode to the site, the workers, my friends, told us about how the government hoarded supplies meant for the survivors and how the survivors still had minimal access to shelter or clean water months later. The cragged rip down the mountainside was visible from miles away. And I don't remember now if we went to the top first or to one of the ruined half-buried villages at the bottom first, but we did both. At the top, you could go to precisely where the mountainside had torn off could follow the tear and its debris down the mountain into the valley below, miles and miles. The view of it was astounding, unfathomable, even standing there in the wreckage. Down below, you could still see vestiges of the village, even in the midst of debris. These were poor people with simple wood and tin and palm homes. I found the mud-spattered pages of a Bible stuck in a bush. 
By then, the mud had dried out, and especially away from the trees in the open valley under the hot sun, it had cracked open in places. Wildflowers were blooming, and we picked them and left them in the cracked open places where we could see bones. Yes, human bones and skulls. Ezekiel says, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me, by the out, brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. The valley of the dry bones. And the divine asks Ezekiel, Human, can these bones live? Ezekiel's response was about like how I felt standing in Nicaragua in the Valley of the Dry Bones. Fuck if I know. What I learned from the aid workers, and later that day from the survivors, was that the mudslide was not some freak act of nature. It didn't just happen out of nowhere. The mudslide started precisely where a wealthy Nicaraguan had bought property and stripped the forest to build a mansion. We saw the foundation of the mansion when we were at the top. That's where the mudslide started. Now, he wasn't supposed to be able to buy property on the side of a volcano, and he had been told the risk of stripping the trees, how it endangered people and creatures and the ecosystem. But he went right on ahead anyway. Somebody sold it to him anyway. And people died. So the wealthy could stay wealthy. I thought of this story as I was studying these texts, not only because I was actually standing in a valley of dry bones, but also because of the clear lesson that systems of oppression, systems that favor the wealthy and powerful, lead to death. And in all three of our texts today, Ezekiel, Romans, and John, this is also true. Systems that favor the wealthy and powerful lead to death. stories, Ezekiel, Lazarus, Romans, are about bodies, are about what happens to bodies in the context of imperial oppression, which is to say empires don't care about bodies, about any bodies but the wealthy and powerful. Ezekiel is writing from exile. He's been torn from Judea and carried into exile by Babylon along with many others. As a prophet, he's trying to make meaning out of what has happened to his people. Bodies exiled, bodies killed, bodies left starving after the destruction of Jerusalem by Babylon. The dry bones in this valley, they're from the bodies of the slain, it says in verse 9. The slain, the killed. They're not the bones of people who died peacefully in old age. No, in this vision, Ezekiel is standing in the aftermath of imperial slaughter. In John, Lazarus has become sick and has died. 
his sisters are despondent. And what I want us to think about is that Rome didn't care about poor people. Rome didn't care about Lazarus or any of the poor colonized people of Judea and Galilee. Rome didn't care about their bodies or about their sickness. Biblical scholar Warren Carter notes, the illnesses that Jesus heals reflect the social, economic, and political inequities of the imperial world. Illnesses involving both nutritional deficiency and contagion from weakened immunity were widespread in the imperial world. That's to say, Rome's violence in Judea and Galilee made it immensely difficult to access health care and left people hungry, making them more prone to illness, and the stress of oppression would have weakened bodies, weakened immune systems, leaving people like Lazarus prone to sickness and death. I'm saying that we can imagine Lazarus ill not simply with disease, but disease exacerbated perhaps even caused by Rome's violence. Now, Paul's letter to the Romans, that may seem trickier because we've been taught that, as it says, to set the mind on the flesh is death, means that bodies, our fleshy, tender, bone and muscle and skin and sinew bodies, are bad. That's what we've been taught. To set the mind on the flesh is death means that bodies are bad. And here I'm going to quote a bit of what I wrote on this text for this year's edition of Recipicence, a Lenten devotional for dismantling white supremacy. It's a little bit of a deeper dive than we just did for Ezekiel and John because there's even more undoing that has to be done. And it starts here. The problem in Romans is Romanness. Not law versus grace, not works versus faith not Judaism versus Christ. The problem in Romans is Romanness. Romanness and the way Romans participating in this vastly diverse community to whom Paul is writing are harming those in their community who do not have Roman privilege. Workers, poor folks, Jews, immigrants, enslaved people, It becomes clear over the course of the letter that the Romans are bringing those Roman ways, their Romanness, into the community, using their power to claim a place of superiority and judgment and boasting over the others, particularly the Jewish folk. Romans thinking that they are rescued by Roman ways, thinking that they are saved by Roman ways. And so Paul has to put them back in their place. Which brings us to chapter 8 where Paul seems to be hammering on about flesh, and we're told he means flesh is sinful. Bodies are sinful. Bodies with their needs and longings and desires and differences. After all, he says, to set the mind on the flesh is death. But what if that's not what he means by flesh at all? What if what he's saying is this? To set the mind on Romanness is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on Romanness is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in their Romanness cannot please God. But you are not in Romanness. You are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. 
Ask yourself, who does it benefit to say Paul means flesh is death, bodies are death, that anyone deviating from what the empire, the imperial church, says bodies should be and do should be punished, enslaved, exterminated, who does it benefit other than the very empire that Paul rails against in this letter and which murdered him for building communities full of people no, no longer willing to pledge allegiance to the emperor? Ezekiel, Lazarus, Romans. Empires do not love our bodies. And my goodness, the way this administration is handling this pandemic should make crystal clear that this is so. Today, my social media feeds are filled with rage that Trump thinks we can stop physical isolation soon, that we should fill the churches for Easter to save the economy, even though that means many, many, many more people will die. Empires do not love our bodies. Is there a future for us after this moment? Is there a future for us after this disastrously mishandled pandemic? Can these bones live? That's the question for Ezekiel and for us. And the good news is, yes. The good news is the divine cares about our bodies, all of our bodies cares enough to raise a whole valley of dry bones into life, cares enough to raise a dead man back into life, cares enough to dwell in us as spirit, helping us root out the ways Romanness has buried itself in us. The divine enacts a new future through Ezekiel, through Jesus, through Paul, because in all three stories, bodies slain and wounded and numbed by imperial violence are restored to life. The act of raising dry bones and dead friends by the one whose power and love not even Babylon, not even Rome, not even the United States can match. This is the divine giving sacred meaning to lives lost to imperial violence. Their lives matter to the divine. These bodies matter to the divine. This is the divine condemning those systems of violence that let bodies die to keep the wealthy wealthy and enacting a restored future where imperial violence no longer exists. And we notice in these stories, God doesn't do this raising on their own. Ezekiel has to prophesy to speak good news to the bones and the breath. Jesus has to weep and pray and cry out. He needs people to move the, gra the gravestone and unbind the body. And Paul has to call the Romans in. And the Romans have to do the work of dismantling their Romanness for the collective good. Empires don't care about our bodies. But the divine does. And with the spirit alive in us, we can shape a future together. 
We can build up a new world together out of this moment, out of this rubble. The divine desires a future for our bodies where our bodies in their vulnerability are treated with care and tenderness. Where our bodies in their difference are cherished with honor and respect. Where our bodies thrive with an abundance of food, care, accountability, and accessible infrastructure. This is really what I want you to feel down in your own bones, your own body. The divine cares about our bodies. The divine loves our bodies. Can these bones live? Lazarus, come out. The spirit of God dwells in us. Amen. This is the part where I usually give you an action or two to engage in. I'm guessing, though, that we all have enough we're doing right now in adapting to this pandemic situation, and there are plentiful calls to action to make sure everyone, and we mean everyone, is treated right. All I want is for you to love on your body. Whatever that looks or feels like for you, Whatever it means to you to experience how much God loves your actual body, that's all. Whatever you're doing and being right now, it's enough. Thanks as always for joining me from wherever you are on this good earth. Let us know how your action goes. We'd love to hear from you by commenting on our SoundCloud or Twitter or Facebook pages. And we'd love to hear from you, and especially from folks of color or non-Christian folks who may be checking us out about how we're doing. Next week, we'll be sharing out the 2017 episode for Palm Sunday. So watch for that. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org, and our podcast lives on SoundCloud. Search on the word is resistance. Give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to our podcast. Transcripts are available as well on our website, which include references, resources, and action links. Uh, Thanks to our new kitty, who you might have heard in the background, hollering because she doesn't like it when we close doors. (laughs) And a huge thanks, as always, to our sound editor this week, Maxwell Pearl. Blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice and in all that you do to build up a new world. Love and liberation, beloveds love and liberation. Until next time, I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap.